Hi, and welcome to Parshana Pod. My name is Yechiel Shafran, the rabbi of the Pikesville Jewish Congregation here in Maryland. We have so far been offering a summary of each Parsha, a summary of each Aliyah, in preparation for study, in preparation for reading of the Torah in Shul on Shabbat. Sefer Dvarim pushes us to approach this work a little bit differently. Since Dvarim itself is a repetition, is a summary somewhat of the Torah, it's Moshe's words itself, we can't simply just offer a summary of a summary, but rather I'm going to offer in this space each week some questions. I'm going to ask you to take a closer look at a specific pasuk or a specific section in the Aliyah, I'm going to present some questions and what the commentators suggest about those questions. I still encourage you to read the Aliyah to get the summary, to get the gist of what's going on just by reading, but we are making this shift. So, here goes nothing. Here is Parshat Ve'et Hanan in seven parts. Part 1. Lord God, let your servants see the first works of your greatness in your mighty hand, whose powerful deeds no God in heaven or earth can equal. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan. Our question is follows. Why does Moshe mention his pleading with God now? Why does he mention it here? What do Moshe's pleas with God have to do with his subtle rebuke of the Jewish people that he is in the midst of offering? Rashi suggests that Moshe thought, following the conquering of Sichon and Og, the decree preventing him from entering the land may have been lifted. The land of Sichon and Og was technically within the borders of Canaan. The Rashbaum suggests that Moshe waits until now to protest the restrictions placed upon him so that his reaction would not be made out of anger or frustration, rather time would offer him some context and some calmness. The Ibn Ezra suggests that every day God offers us the opportunity to begin anew. Moshe was hoping to grab this opportunity. So ends part one. Part two. See, I have imparted to you laws and rules, as the Lord my God has commanded me, for you to abide by in the land that you are about to enter. What does this verse add to our commitment to keep the mitzvot? What's Moshe trying to get at by encouraging us to keep the mitzvot in this very moment? The Ramban suggests that upon our arrival in the Promised Land, the Jewish people will need to keep the mitzvot that were up until now inapplicable in a desert experience. The Talmud in Nadarim, page 37, suggests that this is the source for requiring a teacher of Torah to teach gratis, to teach for free. You can't earn a living teaching the word of the Lord. Just as Moshe was not paid for his teaching of the Torah, so too Torah teachers forevermore shall work lishma shall work for the sake of teaching or nothing else. The Bechor Shor suggests that the Jewish people now have substantive proof that God punishes those who violate the Torah and rewards those who keeps the Torah. Offering the instruction now 
changes their entire perspective now that they've lived through the desert and they've seen God's blessing and God's punishment. So ends part two. Part three, Az Yavdil Moshe. And then Moshe set aside three cities on the east of the side of Jordan to be Are Miklat, cities of refuge. Why does Moshe do this now? And what exactly did Moshe do? Rashi suggests that Moshe wanted to do what he could in the way of mitzvot tluyot ba'aretz, mitzvot that were tied to the land of Israel, since he would not be entering the land and he would have limited opportunity to fulfill those many mitzvot. These cities of refuge would not be functioning until the land of Canaan was conquered. Nevertheless, Moshe establishes them now. The Sephorno suggests that Moshe wanted to communicate to the Jewish people that observance of the mitzvot was such a supreme importance that he would spend his final moments on earth fulfilling mitzvot that were not relevant to him at all, that wouldn't be relevant for almost an entire generation. Nevertheless, Moshe uses his final moments, his final breaths, to fulfill a mitzvah, ledorot, a mitzvah for generations. And so ends part three. Vayikra Moshe al kol Yisrael vayomer aleihen. Moshe summons all of Israel and says to them, Hear, O Israel, the laws and rules that I proclaim to you this day. Study them and observe them faithfully. Lamadatem osam ushmartem laasosam. What's the message of this verse? What's Moshe trying to get at? Right, what has been accomplished thus far in Devarim that now Moshe reassuringly and encouragingly tells the Jewish people to stay the task ahead? The Orachayim HaKadosh suggests that this would be the final moment where unity would be easily achieved, largely due to the uniformity of their lives. Once they enter the land of Israel, they will be living in different locations, living different lives living with different goals, thus making empathy that much harder. The Nitziv suggests that Moshe wants to bring home the message that the Torah was not merely an intellectual pursuit, but was one that was also defined by the practical aspects of life. It needed to be made clear that the study of Torah was important, and the observance of mitzvot was also equally significant and important. And so ends part four. The Lord spoke those words, those and no more, to your whole congregation at the mountain with a mighty voice out of the fire and the dense cloud. He inscribed them on two tablets of stone, which he gave to me, Moshe. What do the words Velo Yosaf mean? And no more. 
What is the message of these words? Why is Moshe telling the Jewish people that God gave them the Torah and no more? Rashi suggests that it indicates both that God would never again reveal himself in this manner, and that the nature of the speech that was given there contained no pauses in it. It was one long breath of a speech. It was one continuous instruction. God does not need to stop to take a breath. The Ramban suggests that the sound of the shofar at Mount Sinai gradually increased in volume to acclimate the Jewish people to the intense spiritual moment. That being said, God's voice remained steady and was heard over the loud shofar. So ends part five. Part 6. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Why is God's name mentioned numerous times in this verse? Well, what's this verse teaching? Rashi suggests that God will in the future be recognized as God by the entire world. For now, however, he is God of only the Jewish people and thus identified as such in the verse, the Shema Yisrael Hashem. The Da'ad Zakinim suggests that it was necessary to be explicit in the verse about the sovereignty of God and his relationship to the Jewish people, so it leaves no room for others to suggest that there may be some other deity, God forbid. The Or HaChaim HaKadosh suggests that the aspects of God that are mentioned in the verse his unity and loyalty, our God, God is one, are all unified aspects of Hashem Echad. It's a deeper, more philosophical understanding of God that though there are multiple aspects to how we experience Him, nevertheless, He is Echad, He is unified, He is one. And so ends part six. Part 7. Ki v'yachah Hashem l'kecha la'aretz asher atav asham al'irishtah. When God brings you to the land that you are about to enter and possess, He will dislodge many nations, seven nations that are much larger and more powerful than you. And God will deliver them to you and will defeat them. You must do them, doom them to destruction, grant them no terms and give them no quarter. You shall not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. What is the instruction below Tichanim? What is the overall purpose of these three verses? Rashi suggests that this command either limits the praise you may give the inhabitants of the land or it limits the rest and relief you may give them. There has to be a principled-driven, values-driven conquering of the land, uncompromising, completely dedicated to the cause, to the purpose of bringing the promised land into the possession of the Israelites. Rabbeinu Bachia suggests that this is a command to not show too much compassion to the local inhabitants of the land. He views this word in particular Lo as a powerful proof for the strength of the Torah, the importance of, again, 
being values-driven, the values of the Torah. Depending on which vowels are placed underneath the words, the restriction adapts for various circumstances. Lo techanim, lo techinam, it really depends. But the ultimate goal, the ultimate mission, is to be absolute and dedicated to the instruction of God. So ends part seven, and so concludes Parshat Ve'etchanan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Parshanapod. My name is Yechiel Schaffer. This has been the new and adjusted version of Parshanapod, especially for Sefer Devarim. We're still going to be offering that one final thought, though. The Meshachachma says that when in Kriyat Shema we are instructed to keep the Torah, Bechol Nafshecha Uvechol Meodecha, he interprets it as observing no matter the cost, whether financial or fatal, to keep the mitzvot, even if it costs you your life or your bank account. He suggests that the drive to be a martyr can be significant. Right? One can want to dedicate oneself absolutely to God, but the drive to use up all your money, that's a different level. He suggests the financial costs of being observant, of being religious, is more punitive in certain ways than the idea of being a martyr. Again, thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend, subscribe, and rate us on whatever platform you use. This has been Parshanapod. My name is Yechiel Shaffer.